Today is December 30th, 2020. Atlanta sees a dramatic increase in violent crime. We find out who Trump's tariffs really hit, and Trump takes a loss with a win. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another wonderful podcast for you here today coming in hot here on early Wednesday morning getting you all the best insights from the left all the best insights from the right and bringing you all that sweet sweet truth that lies right there in the middle if you are new welcome in thank you for joining us we're, we're so happy to have you here pull up a chair all right as we take our uh, take our time and look at the good and the bad on the left take our time and look at the good and bad on the right and we do our best to have good civil discourse and meet in the middle where it's possible and recognize that not every political conversation has to be a bad one but you like most people probably realize that political conversations can be good we do want to do our best here on split the difference podcast to Bring a, bring good insights and have good opinions and, you know, opinions that are, of course, educated, but also recognize that people can disagree with us and that's okay. As long as we can do our best to not be divisive, you know, to meet in the middle a little bit and have good conversation and build good community. So if that's something you are interested in, hop along with us as we jump on in to the first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story, Atlanta's police reform. So this is actually getting a pretty good amount of headlines. We'll talk a little bit, I guess, later why it's, I guess, what sparked it. But we're in order to get into this story, we have to bring our minds, put our minds all the way back to earlier in the year in 2020. Okay. If we remember all the way back to early summer, there were a lot of calls for defunding the police. This has been a huge talking point, especially on the left side of the aisle for quite some time now. And all across the country, you were seeing protests after the George Floyd shooting, or really the George Floyd murder, I guess is a better way. He wasn't shot, but he was uh, he was killed by a police officer. Um, and people took to the streets, rioting, protesting for George Floyd, for against systemic racism, and especially against police brutality. Well, one of the huge things that came out of that, especially from the left side of the aisle, is this idea of, and this mantra of, quote, defund the police, right? You've seen all the signs, people holding them up in protests, and they argue that the police shouldn't have any funding and they shouldn't have any money because what they're doing on the daily basis is wrong. Why fund the police if the police are violently killing people in the streets, right? That's the whole argument, the whole premise behind defund the police, okay? Well, that message has since changed because I think many on the left have realized that that is a really, really bad slogan, right? It doesn't make a lot of friends. When you come out and say that you want to defund the entirety of the force that is actually keeping you know, your streets safe in a lot of ways, you're not going to get a lot of supporters to that cause. Uh, also, a lot of more moderate and very, very you know, mainstream Democrats came out and critiqued it pretty hard, most notably is Barack Obama. He came out and slammed a lot of the more progressive side of the aisle really just about a month, month and a half ago, saying that they're uh, basically that their marketing is bad, right? That if you if you want people to join in on the conversations about racial injustice and about police reform, well, you can't say that you want to defund the police. So a lot of the more progressive side of the Democratic aisle has gotten a lot of heat for that. Um, but like most things, you know, politics flows 
downstream from culture, okay? And when you're going out and you have an entire wing of your party that is constantly saying that they want to defund the police, there are going to be politicians that listen to that and start to act on it, all right? So there are a few places where that police reform has started to change, right? Uh, first is one of the great best examples actually in Minneapolis. So, uh, up in, uh, Minneapolis, there's been a lot of problems with police, a lot of problems with people going out and actually, um, doing a ton of protesting and stuff like that. Um, so in Minneapolis, for example, just within the last month, the city stripped $8 million from the police department and almost passed a measure that would have removed over a hundred police officers from the force. Um, all of this with just within the last month. This is also following this year a $14 million budget cut, budget cut by the Minneapolis City Council from the police department uh, from what they had in 2019. So they actually would have really ended up having $24 million more, or 20, excuse me, $22 million more than what they had uh, last year than what they have right now in the Minneapolis uh, PD. Uh, it should also be noted that during this time frame, when all of this police reform and everything, quote unquote, has been happening, really the, kind of the defunding of the police department there, uh, there's been an incredibly significant increase in violent crime starting around March to April this year when, you know, much of these protests and calls for defunding the police began. Um, Atlanta, getting to our story now, uh, is currently in the middle of a pretty large increase in violent crime as well. So during a 28-day period over the summer, uh, I think ending around July 10th or 11th, there were 106 people shot in Atlanta, okay? That is up from 40 from the previous year over the exact same time period. So in Atlanta, you're seeing this huge uptick in murders. You're seeing a huge uptick in shootings. You're seeing a huge uptick in uh, armed robbery, violent crimes. And a lot of officials in Atlanta and city council members are saying that this is a result of the, quote, police reforms and the defunding, the calls to defund the police that have been primarily from the left side of the aisle. So the mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, has called for reappropriation of funds within the police department multiple times. One of the big things that she has been pushing for over the past couple months is basically to strip money from the police department and to take that money and put it elsewhere. All right. And that's not just that they're the Democrats, I think, are now kind of trying to shift the narrative a little bit, shift the slogan. Well, we don't actually want to defund the police. We just want to reform the police departments. And it's like, OK, that's that's fine. There's nothing. I think I also think that there needs to be some reformation within the police department. But when you're talking about taking funds away from, uh, in a lot of ways, a police police departments all over the country are incredibly underfunded. There's going to be repercussions for those actions, right? So over this past weekend, a seven-year-old girl was shot outside of a mall in Atlanta, okay? This was by a stray bullet. She was out with her family. They were doing some Christmas shopping. She was shot and is now in critical condition in an Atlanta hospital from a stray bullet because that's Atlanta, right? Uh, a lot of people now are starting to question what the reforms are actually doing and who they're actually helping. So if you're pulling funding out of the police department, like where are you where are you putting it? Is, do you have a clear plan for it? Like wh where is this money going to go? Shouldn't you be giving the police officers more money and better training? And we'll get all get all that in a minute. But 
this a couple of members of the city council came out and slammed uh, slammed Bottoms pretty hard. That's that sounds terrible. Slammed Keisha Bottoms pretty hard um, over over this past week. So basically, what they're saying is. You can't come out and call to defund the police or, quote, reappropriate funds if you don't have a good plan for where this money should go and you don't know what your plan is going to be going forward, right? As I have said before, the very, very difficult part of all of this is that many people do agree that there needs to be reformation within our police, a lot of the police departments in America, and within our criminal justice system as a whole, right? Nobody's going to sit down and say that our criminal justice, well, I'm not going to say no one, because of course there's crazy people on both sides of the aisle, but they're, they're, the vast majority of people are going to look at our criminal justice system and going to look at our police reforms, uh, our, our police departments, and say, this needs some reform, right? Like, things need to change a little bit because it's not great the way that it is right now. So, this, I, I think that what you have to do, though, is you have to realize that, like, taking money away from the police departments isn't necessarily going to help. And these are now, we're now starting to see cases across the country these large cities like Atlanta or like Minneapolis that are stripping their police departments of money because there have been calls for police reform, and now you're starting to see a huge uptick in violent crime, and then they're looking around and being like, I, I don't understand how this happened. Where could this have come from? Well, this, that's what happens when your police department has incredibly low morale, when, they don't, when they're not getting paid well, police officers are getting fired every single week. You're, this is what you're going to start to see happen. So... Um, unfortunately, we're starting to see the effects of what happens when you're listening to the fringe 10%, right? Moderate Democrats aren't the ones that are out there calling to uh, rip, completely rip away money and, uh, and funds from police departments, right? Like, it's not Obama and it's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden came out and said wholeheartedly that he was in support of better funding for police departments, giving them more funds, giving them more money so that they can increase their training, they can increase their pay, they can increase um, things that these police officers need need, right? It's the fringe. It's the far left progressive fringe that is called for totally defunding the police, right? This is what happens when you listen to that far left fringe, right? And it goes the same way on the other side of the aisle. I'm just bagging on the far left right now. But anytime that you're listening to these like way, way out there ideas on either side of the aisle, it's, it's not going to end up going well for you. And we're seeing what's happening now in Atlanta as a great example of you can't defund the police. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows that's ridiculous. Um, so with all of that, let's go ahead and hop on into our second story of the day. Story number two. So, Freedom of Information Act documents show the flip side of tariffs. So, I actually got uh, this idea, this story from a really, really well done article um, off of Wall Street Journal. If you don't subscribe to Wall Street Journal, they don't sponsor me at all. I wish they would, but that is a phenomenal. I'm a big fan of the Wall Street Journal. Have been for a while, um, but. They basically did a whole article, a whole uh, their editorial board put out a whole piece about uh, the tariffs and basically some of the different effects that these tariffs that Trump has put on China have had for our companies here domestically. So I have been very openly critical of Donald Trump and his and his tariffs. Well, I'm openly critical of a, a bunch of things that Trump does. You know, I'm not his biggest fan in the world, and that's okay. But one of the biggest critiques I have had of Trump, uh, especially in his economic policy, and I guess this kind of goes in a bit to his foreign policy as well, is the tariffs that he placed on China. At this point, 
as well, Biden has not been clear about what he's going to do with the tariffs that are currently in place against China, whether or not he will continue to keep them there and move forward maybe with more tariffs or he's going to pull those tariffs back. If we look at the past, Democrats have normally been the ones that have been a little bit more I guess on the forefront with like wanting to push tariffs. Most of the time it is, it's the Democrats that don't like those, like, you know, those free global markets, right? Uh, I believe one of the last really big tariff acts that we have had was uh, Herbert Hoover, I believe, maybe. Uh, and maybe the Smoot Hawley tariffs, I believe is what they're called. You can, you guys can fact check me on that. I may be wrong. That's off the top of my head. But, um, it's difficult to judge all this, though, because right now the Democrats' total agenda is we hate Trump, Trump is bad, whatever he does, we must do the opposite, right? That's normally been the, the Democrats' like main political line right now. So they may totally reverse course on all of the Democratic agenda for a long time and say that they don't like tariffs now. I don't know. Who knows? That's pretty much what Trump did with the conservative line, right? He was the conservative president that came in and did an incredibly unfiscally conservative thing. Um, so anyways... Wall Street Journal came out, had a great article talking about this and about how tariffs affect the lobbying in Congress and really who the tariffs impact. So there were a lot of Republicans, especially early on in Trump's presidency, that really cheered Trump on when he was imposing these tariffs because they claimed they needed to do it in order to uh, basically take a really tough stand against China, right? We need to punish China for all the bad stuff they're doing. Let's put tariffs on them and just really hit China where it hurts. So now there's a ton of documents that are coming out through the Freedom of Information Act, or Freedom of Information Act, where uh, we're able to go in and actually see a, how a lot of these congressmen then turned around and were writing into the United States uh, Trade Representative, which is basically the office in, in, the, in the executive department, asking them for a whole bunch of exemptions on companies that were going to be hit by tariffs that they pushed the president to make. So, great example of this, Josh Hawley. Uh, he is a, uh, he's, out of, he's a senator out of Missouri. Uh, he wrote a letter to the USTR uh, saying, it would not be beneficial to impair a small American company that does not have the financial resources or alternative supply chain options, right? So basically, what he was doing was he was writing to lobbying for this company is called SM Products uh, on behalf of S lobbying on behalf of SM Products to the United States Trade Representative Office asking them to give them an exemption because he realized when you put these tariffs on these foreign countries well all of a sudden that means that if it's a 25% tariff that means that all of a sudden this company over here that's this small Missouri company if they're getting a bunch of sourcing a bunch of stuff from China all of a sudden, they have to pay 25% more for all the products and the stuff that they're servicing or they're you know, getting out of China. Mark Meadows, who is now the White House chief of staff, okay, sent a similar letter. He said, quote, my wholehearted support in your work to combat Chinese intellectual policy or property uh, theft and industrial espionage. However, the tariffs being implemented implemented would damage the American businesses in his district, in my district, because they wouldn't have any time to find another supplier. So basically what Mark Meadows did was he was like, you know what, this is great. I support Donald Trump. We need to take a hard line stance against China. And then he turned around and he was like, but wait, don't let those tariffs apply to people that I'm supposed to represent. Lindsey Graham, good old South Carolina senator here, Lindsey Graham, did a very, very similar thing. So over and over and over again, Lindsey Graham came out in full support of Donald Trump, publicly saying multiple times, right, that uh, the American companies, 
They're just going to have to bite the bullet, okay? Sometimes you have to endure a little bit of pain for the greater American good. And right now, the greater American good is definitely combating China, taking a hardline stance against China, and doing everything we can to slow their economic progress, okay? Then, in letters to the USTR, he said that the tariffs would put some South Carolina companies at a competitive disadvantage and hurt them. So it's almost like all of the fiscal conservatism that Reagan pushed in free trade and that H.W. Bush and even really even George Bush pushed for so long, all of these Republicans turned their back on all of that and then are like, wait a second, we're not promoting competition when the government steps in and controls things with an iron fist. So... Unfortunately, many of the Republicans got caught up in kind of like this Trump wave and just kind of wrote it. I mean, Lindsey Graham is a fantastic example of that, right? Like in 2015 and 2016, Lindsey Graham supposedly could not stand Donald Trump. Now, Lindsey Graham, the only thing that Lindsey Graham loves more than Lindsey Graham is Donald Trump. So interestingly enough, though, the tariffs have really strengthened the number one thing that Trump sought to be able to disrupt, and that is the D.C. swamp. Okay, the swamp there in D.C. So let's do a quick example. If you are a company that's going to be hit by tariffs, okay, which is going to decrease your profits and cause you to have to cut expenses, you may have to fire people, it's going to directly hit your bottom line. And these tariffs are rolling out here in the next 30 days, okay? What's the best way for you to be able to deal with that situation? Are you going to go in and fire all your employees? Are you going to severely cut management pay? (laughs) Of course not. You're not going to cut the pay of the C-suite. Ridiculous. What you're going to do is you're going to go and talk to your local representative. Hopefully you are very well connected. You just call up Mark Meadows and you're like, hey, listen, man, I agree, right? We got to vote all these Republicans in because they're looking out for our best interests. But with some of their policy, it's going to hurt me. I need you to write in and I need you to make sure that I'm exempt, right? You, You have to realize lobbying is your best option right there. You got to just call up your local congressman. Be like, hey, listen, Lindsey Graham, I appreciate all the support you're giving for Donald Trump because, man, he's my president too. But I need you to make sure I'm exempt from that. And if you need a little bit of sweet talking, let me take you out for dinner, right? Let me get you a really nice bottle of scotch. I just need you to make sure, though, that I'm exempt from these tariffs because I can't afford a 25% hit to my bottom line, right? Of course not. Well, what if you're not super well super well connected to a congressman? It sucks. Too bad. I don't know what to tell you, right? I guess you're going to have to start spending money like some real dough on taking Lindsey Graham out and getting to know him. Maybe you need to get to know Mark Meadows. Maybe you need to get to know Josh Hawley, right? You need to get in and start talking to some of these guys, right? You got to start schmoozing a little bit. You got to be able to get on their good side so that way they they can you know exempt you. They can make sure that your company is all right. This is just a fantastic example of how when the government gets bigger and controls more things, Corruption just flows naturally from it. How can Trump drain the swamp if he is emboldening people to take advantage of this power that the swamp gives them? I just don't. This is what tariffs do, right? This is the government stepping in, taking more control, okay? And as a result, when the government has more power, well, then the best way for your business to survive is to get on the good side of the government. So what will be very interesting to see, though, uh, out of all of this is to see how the Republicans immediately change their course once they realize that the Biden administration is the one that's picking the winners and the losers and all this. Right. So right now it's an executive department run by the Republican Donald Trump. That is the one that's exempting companies from these tariffs. Right. 
what's going to happen when Biden gets in? There's still a 20-25% tariff, but it's the Biden administration and the Democrats that are picking who wins and who loses, right? All of a sudden, these companies are going to be like, well, I'm not going to be schmoozing with, with any Lindsey Graham, right? I'm going to be schmoozing Chuck Schumer, right? Who, who I'm, I need to call Nancy Pelosi, right? I'm not talking to Lindsey Graham. He's not in power anymore. They're going to start realizing very, very quickly, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait a second. We need Republicans picking the winners and losers. We can't have Democrats picking the pickers, picking the winners and losers, right? Who's the U.S. trade representative going to going to listen to, right? When it's a Democratic-run trade representative, they're not going to listen to these Republicans that have been slamming them for so long. They're going to listen to that Californian Democratic senator or uh, elected official that has been on their side from the very beginning, right? They hated Trump back before it was cool. So I would expect to see the vast majority of these Republicans that were pushing these tariffs really, really hard like three or four years ago to all of a sudden change course and be like, oh, you know what? Tariffs are terrible. We're all for free trade. You know, the Biden administration is doing things bad. We shouldn't do that anymore. Joe Biden needs to figure out a better way to hit China where it hurts and do it without any old school tariff tactics, right? We need some some real innovative stuff. So <laughs> I'm sure all of this will, <laughs> all of the politicians will totally change their tune here soon. I just uh, thought that was a really interesting story about... Um, you know, a very something that honestly was very popular amongst the American people for a little while too, just because Trump was preaching it so hard. So, anyways, with all of that, let's hop on into our last story of the day, story number three. So, our third story of the day: Trump takes a loss with the win. So, COVID relief and stimulus checks have flipped back and forth and back and forth more than an Olympic gymnast this last week. You can take that analogy with you to the bank. So Trump came out and vetoed the stimulus bill, right? It was early in the week. Came out and said he's not going to do it. I'm not going to sign this thing. This stimulus bill is terrible. He pressured Congress to go in and not waste any money, and he was asking for bigger stimulus checks. Then he came out and he vetoed the big defense bill that was coming through, about a $740 billion defense bill, saying that they shouldn't rename the Confederate monuments. That was his big thing. They should never go through and rename these Confederate monuments. We owed those Confederates, you know, to our, you know, historical past, yada, yada, whatever. So the defense bill was overridden. All right. They basically, the House and the Senate both went through. They got the two thirds majority that they needed, and they pretty much rebuked the presidential veto. A little bit of a slap in the face to the Trump administration, especially because only about, I think it's like nine to 10% of all of the presidential vetoes that have ever happened have actually been overridden by Congress. So, very, very rare thing that that actually happens. So, then, a little bit later, Trump goes back and signed the stimulus bill with the $600 payments. What? Then the House went through and approved increasing the paychecks, the stimulus checks, to $2,000. What? So, let's hop in real quick. Take a quick, take a quick listen to MSNBC did a, little, did a little story on it. Let's take a listen here. It is now up to the Senate after the House passed that bill yesterday that would increase coronavirus relief checks to $2,000 for certain Americans. And 44 Republicans, along with the vast majority of Democrats, approved the legislation, 275 to 134, narrowly reaching the two-thirds majority that the bill needed to pass. And this legislation would increase those $600 direct payments to $2,000 for Americans who earned less than $75,000 last year. And Senate Minority Leader Schumer says that he is going to try to pass this bill by unanimous consent today. 
But at this point, it's unclear whether Republicans, Senate Republicans, are going to get on board with the measure. And McConnell has declined to publicly address, as of yet, how he plans to handle the issue. All right. So um, basically, the fate of the $2,000 payments rested within the Senate. They could keep, they could, you know, vote to keep the payments of $600, basically say they're not going to vote to increase it, or they could vote to increase it. So this actually has a lot of ramifications beyond just getting a check in the mail from Uncle Sam, right? There are a lot of different political things at play here. So let's think about it. The Republicans were somewhat thrown under the bus by Trump through all of this, okay? Trump's team was involved in the negotiations from the very beginning. Trump knew what was going on. He knew what was on the table. Then he turned course after the Republicans signed on with the whole package. They went in and did you know, got all the kinks worked out. They got it signed. They sent it to President Trump. And, you know, made a really, really hard push for these smaller checks, right? Like, that was the big concession that the Democrats made, was having smaller stimulus checks because the Republicans wanted to save money. Now Trump actually has the backing and has turned course as a backing of a lot of Democrats that originally pushed for a larger check, okay? You had Nancy Pelosi standing in the House of Representatives arguing for what Donald Trump wanted. Hell actually froze over. So um, now the Republicans are having to figure out what to do, right? Do they stick to their guns and do they sit back and be like, well, no, no, we originally wanted this, the $600 checks. We wanted to be fiscally conservative. Mitch McConnell has multiple times come out and said that he thinks that the stimulus package needs to be much, much less, wants to be more conservative with giving out money. Or, you know, do they fall in line with Trump and the Democrats now and give out a higher check amount? All of this, of course, is right ahead of the biggest senatorial races in the country right now. So next week, if we remember, on January 5th, it's the Georgia senatorial runoffs. Georgia has their two Senate runoffs taking place, and there have already been an estimated 2.1 million people that have casted a vote. So Georgia flipped boot blue this year, this this 2020 election, for the first time since Moses walked the earth, right? And the Republicans are petrified that they are now going to lose their Senate majority. Because if Warnock and Ossoff win in Georgia to, for two Democratic senator seats, that completely destroys the Republican majority. It's now a 50-50 tie, and Kamala Harris is the one that is voting on a tiebreaker it's not going to be Mike Pence. So, Republican majority in the Senate is gone if next week they lose those elections. So, if there's anything that can get people out to vote, it's affecting their pocketbooks, of course. So, I think that the Republicans right now in the Senate are having a pretty big debate. They're going back and forth for sure because they're like, oh man, it'd be pretty bad if right before this election in Georgia next week, we don't vote to give higher stimulus checks. And all those Georgians look Georgians are watching their TV and they're looking at it and they're like, you know what? This is why I don't want to vote for Republicans. They can't even help me out when I needed it most. Those are my taxes. That's my money. And they can't even help me out. You know what? I'm voting for Ossoff. You never know. That could absolutely take in a huge effect. And you know as soon as the Republicans went in there and didn't vote, on uh, increasing the stimulus check to $2,000. It would be, I mean, broadcast every single radio show in Georgia, every single TV set in Georgia. It would just be money pumped in there 
commercial after commercial after commercial of just Mitch McConnell and David Perdue's face and Kelly Loeffler's face that's like, these are the people that refuse to help you guys out when you guys need it most. So, I think that this has a lot more to do with the overarching politics of everything and not just about money getting into your pocketbook and actually trying to help you out. There's a lot of people politicking pretty hard around all of this. So, Anyways, with all of that, that is the end of our third story of the day. We can go ahead and hop on in to something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week, which I guess was actually technically last week, uh, was we got my mother a badminton set for Christmas. And I am super stoked to get out there and be tearing it up on that badminton court. I don't know if any of you have ever played badminton. Maybe you probably did, I don't know, like in gym when you were a kid or something like that. But it is so much fun. And it's a fun game that you can play with the family. You can get out and just whack the birdies around, just have a great time with it. It is a blast. I am very much looking forward to being able to get out, play a little bit of badminton, have some friends over. Hopefully, I don't know, my mom makes us a whole bunch of food, fingers crossed, and we get out there and just have a huge badminton tourney in the backyard. I am super stoked about that. So, also, if you ever need some good entertainment, go online to the YouTubes and search Olympic badminton playing. It is the most bonkers thing you've ever seen in your entire life. I did not realize that badminton could actually be that intense and competitive to watch. Sorry sorry to offend anybody that is a really, really serious badminton player, okay? I just didn't realize how fast-paced that game actually was. <laughs> so, with all of that, that is the show for today. Thank you for listening in and for joining us here on this beautiful Wednesday. We're going to do, as always, I got to let you guys know. You got to check me out on Instagram. You got to check me out on Facebook. I'm on YouTube at Split the Difference and my website at splitthedifference.com. Go on there and find me. Give me a like, a subscribe, a thumbs up, a five-star review. All those things help so much in getting my name out there, getting me in all the good algorithms and whatnot. So my name gets out in front of more people. So hopefully more people can join us in and join in on the community of people that are actually trying to have some good civil discourse around politics, bring a little bit of unity to the conversation. So with all that, that's the end of the show. Remember, as always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're going to do our best to stay reasonable. And we're always going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.